0: Good morning, everyone, and wow, thank you, Pastor Dwayne. Pastor Dwayne, that's odd to me, but anyhow, Pastor Dwayne, that's great. (laughs) And it's great to see Dwayne's folks here, my former parishioners, uh, way back in the 80s. My goodness, some of you weren't even born then, but anyhow, that was great. And by the way, I do take credit for all the good things that uh, Pastor Dwayne and Pastor Rick... Uh, do uh, anything bad that they do, you can blame, you can blame our president, Mr. Brubaker, uh At Heritage, that's his fault. All right. Um, and then, um, you know, talk about bakers. I had this baker kid show up in class. You know, some kid by the name of Jordan. You know, I, what was really impressed me was he's obviously much more intelligent than his father, and I was so. <laughs> I was so happy about that. He obviously got the brains and the genes of his mother, and that is so, so wonderful. But you know, these are the trials that we have to bear at Heritage College and Seminary when we get these students, and, uh, and then we get the, the children of the students that we had years ago. Boy, oh boy, that uh, <clears throat> does something about how, how old we've been, how old uh, we feel we are. Anyhow. Great to be here, and, and man, where, where's that? Where's that? Where's that dude by the name of Pete? Pete, where are you? Oh, right here, yeah, man. You ought to be preaching, buddy. All right, that was awesome. Thank you. Both of your testimonies were so great, all of you, And she shared with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I also wanted to say, um, uh, the fellow that preached here, thank you for praying for a sister church. I don't know whether you caught that. I don't know whether you do that often here. But thank you for praying for a sister church. And I know it's not even part of the group of churches that we're part of. But you know what? God does his work in multiple ways, using different contexts and different congregations, right? And I remember when I was... I, I pastored the Old Central Baptist Church in London for 10 years. It's now called Stony Creek Baptist. But I remember way back in those early days... When I started praying for sister churches in the city, um, some of our dear old saints, they they, they really had a hard time with that. Because they thought that Central was the only church in the world that was preaching the gospel. And I'll never forget when I prayed for Wortley Baptist Church. Oh, my goodness. um, I thought the church was going to fall apart. But anyhow. And uh, it just brought this whole sense that we are part of a larger movement than any one of us can capture. And God works in mysterious ways as wonders to perform, even through us and where we are, as well as the other means and what means churches that he chooses to use. So thank you for praying for a, for a sister church. Pilgrim's Progress. For many of us, this has become part of uh, our spirituality. As we think about that great, great story and poem that uh, John Bunyan wrote. Listen to a bit of it. Who would true true valor see? Let him come hither. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather. There's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. Whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound his strength the more is. No lion can't Can him fright? He'll with a giant fight, but he will have a right to be a pilgrim. Hobgoblin nor foul fiend can doubt, can daunt his spirit. He knows he at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies fly away, he'll not fear what men say, he'll labor night and day to be a pilgrim. Whether we're thinking about it from the vantage point of valiant for truth, or Christian, or whether we change the source and look at the biblical patriarchs like Abraham and Moses, or whether we come to the New Testament and listen to the author of Hebrews who talks about the fact that we are on this journey from earth to heaven or from this broken old creation to the new Jerusalem, we find this picture of pilgrimage as a powerful uh, metaphor, a powerful illustration of what it is to live life with God. We find in the Bible, we find in Christian writing. Whether we are going through things like the Slough of Despond or Beelzebub Castle or the Hill of Difficulty or facing the three giant bloody man, Maul, and Slaygood. We find ourselves captured by this idea that the Christian life is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. And every one of us know the pain and joy of that journey. We've heard, about it. We've heard it talked about it already today. And Steve Green wrote many years ago, We're Pilgrims on the Journey on a Narrow Road. And so, as I think about this, and as I think about my life, and hopefully, as we talked today, you'll think about it in terms of your life. What is the voice of that journey? What, what prayer do we bring? How do we speak to God in that journey? How do we speak to one another? How do, we, how do we speak to ourselves on the journey in order for us to, day by day, moment by moment, year by year, month by month, capture a sense that God is good, that somehow things are not out of control, and that we can trust the God that we are journeying with. What prayer has God given us? What description has he given us to to encourage us and to bless us and and let us pray to him? There's a beautiful psalm in in our Psalter that captures that idea. And I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. It's a favorite of mine, and I know it's a favorite of many of you. And I'm, not, I'm not treading new territory today. I'm going, I'm going places that are very familiar. I'm, I'm, I'm walking through some well-trod pathways, as it were. Psalm 121. Let me read it to you. The title, A Song of Ascents. We'll talk about that in a minute. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? and forevermore. Now, just a few things about the psalm as we get going. First of all, we need to understand that this psalm is the second of 15 psalms that all have the same title. If you look at Psalm 120, you'll notice that it has the title the Psalm of Ascents. And then if you go to 122, 123, right up to 134, they all have the same title. And this is the only part of our Bible that has this title, has, has this little statement, Song of Ascents. It's the Hebrew word, "olah," which means to go up or to ascend or climb. Uh, the old King James used to call it the song of degrees and the idea of degree, degree of elevation. And so it's a song of climbing. It's a psalm of going up. It has the idea of going up to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. People would travel from all over the country and as they would look to the hills, they would see Jerusalem and the temple in the distance in those hills and they would climb those hills, climb the mountains. And it's interesting because Jerusalem and the temple was built on one of the highest hills in all of Israel. And so it from, from, doesn't matter wherever you came from, north, south, east, or west, you were climbing upward to the place where God dwelt, and to the city, and to the temple. And three times a year, every adult male, and they came with their families, were required to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so this is a song of the pilgrimage. This is a song of the journey. The song of going from where we live to where God dwells. The song of, uh, of going from, from the place where, where we live out uh, work and play and family and recreation. And as we journey to the place where ultimately heaven, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem uh, finds itself, this is the song of that journey. It's fascinating as you read through the, uh, the, the uh, ascent Psalms, there's 15 of them. We find Psalms of Lament. We find psalms of praise. We find psalms of thanksgiving. All the voices are there. And, and, I, and I found it fascinating, as, as Pastor Duane talked for a moment there about um, some of the things that he's heard me teach over the past, when it comes to the issue of what it is to engage God's people in worship, and how that so often, when we do come together to worship. And we're going to talk about this tonight, by the way. We're going to look at Psalm 73, and we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight. But But the whole notion that... You know, when we come into the presence of God on a Sunday morning, perhaps, you know, we're not all well put together, are we? Very often, it has been a tough week. Oshawa knows well. The pink slip. And we come to church on a Sunday morning, and somehow it takes us a while you get a sense that God is with us on the journey. Because the note from the doctor was not good. Our, t- our kid didn't come home the night before. And yeah, maybe we had a little spat with our spouse or kids. And so we find all these voices given to us for the pilgrimage. Lament, praise, thanksgiving, hope. Songs for the journey. Second thing that we hear about this psalm, so you know about this psalm is, as I noted, it was probably sung at the three great festivals. Three festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Three times a year they had to travel to Jerusalem in order to worship and offer sacrifices and, and party and do good things and, and, and have lots of, lots of fun. It was, these were really high-powered kinds of things. And they sang these songs on the way. And I, I can just imagine the, the caravans coming to Jerusalem for these great festivals. And, and they were singing back and forth to one another. In fact, we know that there were so many at, at one particular occasion. Jesus came with his parents and they got halfway home before they realized he wasn't with them. They had to turn around and go back. You get a sense of the, the, the confusion and, and, and excitement and, and uh, chaos of these festivals. And this psalm speaks of... Those journeys. So we look at the psalm. There are two speakers in the psalm. Verses 1 and 2. You'll notice that the pronoun is all first person. Right? My and I. But when you come to verse 3. The pronoun changes and goes to he and you. And so in verses 1 and 2 we find the pilgrim actually speaking. He is talking about his own experience of the journey. Or the hope of the journey. Or the fear of the journey. But then in verses 3 through 8. Someone comes along and and kind of touches him on the shoulder and blesses him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want you to see that shift between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 to 8 as we look at at this psalm uh, a little more carefully. And then it's designated, we characterize it as a psalm of trust. As I mentioned before, there were a number of different psalms in in, in the book of psalms and in, in in the psalms of ascent. We have psalms of lament, psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of wisdoms, Zion psalms, what we call royal psalms, or sometimes we call them messianic psalms. But we have a group of psalms in the book of psalms, and in this particular little collection that are called psalms of trust. Psalm 23 fits into that. In the sense that we can look to our God and find trust and hope in who he is. Psalm 46 may fit into that as well. And so we are in the same kind of genre, same kind of category As Psalm 23, and we look for those kinds of notes of hope as we read this psalm together. It's a psalm of reorientation. A psalm of trying to get our lives back together in tune with God and and the way he wants us to live out that pilgrimage. And so as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, as a pilgrim on that journey, on that narrow road... And I have to confess that as I come among you today. Not just to preach. But to be ministered to by you. By the music, by the prayer, by the baptism. As I come among you today. And you come among us today. I have to confess to you. I need a word of reassurance. I need a word that says somehow the chaos of what I see around me in my personal life, our national life, our global life, somehow it's not out of control. And I need to hear that word of assurance from a fellow pilgrim. Who knows the pain of the journey. And walks beside me. As we together. Both follow our Lord. And that's what we're going to find here today. It's the voice for the journey. And it's a voice spoken. By one. Who is just like us. We start. By asking and answering the question. Who will be our help on the journey? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? We ask the question. We look out there and we see the hills and we know what those hills are about. Who's going to be our help? And it's interesting, in the Hebrew text, that word, who will be my help, is the last word in, the, in that line. And then the very next line starts with, my help. Staccato. Who will be my help? My help comes from the Lord, the maker, the one who made the heaven and the earth. Lorraine and I went to, um, oh, by the way, my wife's name is Lorraine, sitting down here. And by the way, in case you're wondering why she doesn't stand up, it's not that she's rebelling against the worship team. Don't worry about that. Um, there's some physical issues going on here, and so uh, she just remains seated while we, uh, while we uh, sing. But, uh, uh, we went to see The Sound of Music uh, this past weekend in, in, in Toronto. How many, How many? anybody seen it? Amazing, right? Phenomenal production. Wow. Terrific. Anyhow, uh, at, in the last scene, as they are in the, um, as, as, they, as the Von Trapp family is, is in, the, in the abbey, uh, about to escape from the Nazis and, and climb over the mountains of uh, Austria and, and into Switzerland, Captain Von Trapp says this, he looks at the mountains, and he says, at one time, I thought they were my friends. Because you have to climb over them, right? At one time, I thought they were my friends. But now they are my enemy. And it's fascinating, because at that point, the mother, Abbas, responds by saying, no. And then she quotes this song. I lift mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. And she says, is saying to him, no, those hills are not a place of danger and enemy. They are a place of help. Now, that may be good, and that may be what she was trying to say to Captain Von Trapp and his family. But you know what? That's not what this text is saying. This text is saying that those hills are the enemy. That those hills are dangerous. That those hills bring bring pain. I lift my eyes to the hills. And in the distance, yes, he sees the temple. And yes, he sees Jerusalem. And he knows he must make the journey. And he's got his family gathered around him. But he looks at those hills. And they are not a place of help. They are a place of fear and danger and heartbreak and pain and suffering and death. They They are the place of bears and bandits. They are the place of danger and uncertainty and difficulty and even death. And he is setting out by faith. He has got his family. He's about ready to go. He's got his cart and his animals and his his maybe his mule or donkey or something. And they're about ready to go. And he's on the edge of the village. And he looks across those hills. And he sees the steep valleys. And he sees the thick forest. And he's saying, who is going to be my help on the journey? He's a little shaky in his confidence. And you know what? This is good. This is a good place to be. To be a little shaky in our confidence. There are times I think that we need to step back and re-identify where our source of strength and help comes from. All too often I find myself relying on my own resources of wit and intelligence and self-confidence and power. What little I have. We must be constantly asking the question, who is going to be our help in the journey? And, and, And... we must answer it by the, by the answer of our fellow pilgrim. My help comes from Yahweh, the Lord. Guess what? He made them dar the hills. He knows what's in those hills. He is God that is omniscient and all-powerful, creator God. We need to be constantly saying, who's brought us this far by faith? Does Yahweh not, does the Lord not know what are in those hills? Does he not have the resources to guide us through the rocky paths and the steep cliffs and the lurking presence of the bandits? Will not his plan come to pass? Will not his glory and praise result from whatever happens in those hills? And and, 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 and folks, this is an important point. so often in our Christian experience and some of the teachings that we get, we get this sense that difficulty is not part of the plan. That death and suffering and hurt and pain are somehow outside how God works in our lives for his good and his glory and our good and his glory. to take a psalm like this and make it some kind of idyllic promise that nothing bad will ever happen, we are going to be deeply disappointed. And for me, this psalm affirms three things. Number one, that God is here. That God is with us in the journey. And nothing is out of his control and power. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But there are no guarantees that the journey is going to be easy. Number two, that we can have faith in that God and he will help us on the journey. No matter where it takes us or however it gets, gets us there. And many of us know the pain of what it is to go on that journey. That is racked with heartbreak and sorrow. But then third, that ultimately his will and kingdom will come to pass. You see, it's all about him. And it's all about his will and his kingdom and his glory. Even though the journey gets a little rough at times. Life is a gift. And life in Christ is even a greater gift. We, it must be referred back to the one who gave it. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote in his book, Faith, Tried and Triumph, that said this, We we all tend to prescribe the answers to our prayers. We think that God can come to us in only one way, but scripture teaches that God somehow answers our prayers by allowing things to become much worse before they become better. He may sometimes do the opposite of what we anticipate, yet it is a fundamental principle in the life and walk of faith that we must always be prepared for the unexpected when we are dealing with God. Our good friend Job. He, he constantly asked the question why? And that's a good question. There's nothing wrong with asking why. Jesus asked why. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't ever fall prey to this, this, this silliness that says we should never ask God why. Job asked God why. And he was a he was an agent of wisdom. But the answer came who? And in 38, he, he jumps in with this, this phenomenal statement of theophany. Who are you? Where were you? What were you doing when I... And then he goes down the line, created Behemoth, created Leviathan, created the universe, all the rest of this stuff. Yes, God hears us in, a, in our pain. That's why we have lament psalms. And sometimes it is only in our pain that his glory is brought to pass. And no, often it is not our choice, but it is for his glory and kingdom. I remember years ago, I helped bury infant twins. And it was particularly poignant to Lorraine and me because we have twins. They're now in their 20s. And I remember that funeral and the hurt and the brokenness and sorrow of that funeral. And it was just a wonderful affirmation of God's goodness and grace and comfort to the family. These were people who loved the Lord. And there were a number of times when mom and dad were assured that, that, her, that, the, that the babies were with the Lord. And, and certainly, um, I believe that that's the case. But I remember standing at the graveside. My part was to do the, um, to do the committal at the graveside. In those two little white caskets sitting on that grave. And we did the service and... And uh, things were starting to break up and people were starting to move away. And the mom came to me, good friend of Lorraine and me. And the mom came to me. And she said, Dr. B, does my confidence rest in knowing that my babies are in heaven? I said, I called her by name, and I said, you know, I have every confidence that your babies are with the Lord in heaven. But you know, our confidence comes from God. That he is good. That he is holy. That he is just. That he is fair. That he is righteous. And that he is loving. And ultimately and finally, he will do with your babies what is all about him and all those things that we know about him. And she looked at me and she just said, thank you. I needed to hear somebody say that today. (laughs) And then she said, and I knew you would. (laughs) That's why I'm talking to you. Let's not think that faith, faith and trust are easy. Doubt is real. We're often pushed to the edge. But as Dostoevsky said in his classic book, The Brothers Karamazov, it is not as a child that I believe. My hosannas are born of a furnace of doubt. Doubt. Faith finds its strength and value when we are struggling the most. We ask and we answer, who is going to be our help? It is is the Lord, it is Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. He is our help. Our hope is in God, his will, his ways, his kingdom. Elsewhere the psalmist cried, why are you so disturbed, O my soul? Why why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now a second, a second person appears on the, on the scene and, and the pronoun, as I mentioned before, changes from the I and the my to a he and a him. And it's almost as if somebody comes along and puts his hand on the shoulder of the pilgrim as, as he's looking to those hills and fear and faith are, are, are in his heart. And he, he's crying out and he says, I know that there's danger out there and I don't know. I, I, I'm struggling here knowing where the journey's going to take me and, and I know it's the right thing to do. And someone comes along and puts his hand on his shoulder. It's almost like he gets down on his knee. And now, this person, I call him the blesser, as it were, this blesser speaks to him and he says, Listen. And he tells him three things about God. Number one, he tells him that our God is an unsleeping shepherd. Look what he says. He who he he will not let your foot slip he who watches over you will not slumber indeed he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep I remember a time years ago and my kids my two oldest kids were really small and we were uh, going for a walk down we were living in London at the time down by the Thames river and and it was a beautiful day and my kids were playing beside the river It was in the spring which is a bad time for your kids playing beside a river and I sat down in the grass and let them play next thing you know I lay back in the grass it was a beautiful day and you know what happened I fell sound asleep, two little kids playing beside a spring-swollen river. I awoke to the very loud sounds of footsteps coming down the side of the hill. And when I looked up, there was a very angry policeman standing over top of me. I quickly came to my feet. And there above, uh, on Wonderland Road, uh, uh, traffic all lined up, behind this car, cop car, flash, uh, lights flashing. He had seen these two little children playing by the river and he came running down to find me sound asleep in the grass. Fortunately, he did not arrest me. But he had some very nasty things to say to me at that point. I got the point. Their shepherd had fallen asleep. You know what? Our shepherd does not fall asleep. He is not like the pagan god Baal, who Elijah mocked when his his prophets could not get fire from heaven. God is neither too preoccupied with the real big things of this world to notice us, or, too t- or, or he's not too tired to keep up his gracious care. His watchful and loving eye is on us continually. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. But then secondly, we are assured that our God is an unfailing protector. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Whether in the heat of the day or in that sinister evening of sinister night when the moon beams. Or, and of course we know what the word lunar and lunacy and all the kinds of things that emerge from that. The, the, the terror and the, the mysticism that comes out of that. The mystery that comes out of that. And the right hand has that idea of Strength. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. It's interesting, he says, he's the shade at our right hand. The right hand was normally considered to be the side of strength. And it's fascinating, he says, he's, he's going to be your shade at your right hand, the side where you think that you are the strongest. At the point of your strength. Guess what? It's not sufficient. But he cares. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night this is not to say that there was never anything bad happened in the journey but it's everything to say that our God cares there's an absolutely phenomenal text I'm going to go there real quickly a few years ago Lorraine was very ill she lay in a coma I had no idea what the next day was going to bring. Probably the darkest days of my life. And I remember coming across a written sermon. I still have no idea how this came to me. Obviously a gift from God. And the sermon was entitled Reassurance. It was by a man by the name of Andrew McRae. I had the joy of meeting him just a while ago and telling him this story. And it was a sermon rooted in Isaiah forty nine that goes something like this Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? The most spectacular and intense expression of love that we know a mother to a child. The next line goes, Though she may forget. You see that mother love is insufficient to describe God's love because look what it says. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And I remember how that text spoke to me, it gave me hope and comfort, not knowing what the next day, the next hours are going to bring. God was gracious to us in that moment. Does he care? Yes, even though his will and ways may not be our choices. And yes, I do believe that he weeps with us, our world is fallen and broken and cursed, and his children suffer in that brokenness, and he feels that suffering. But he is not a helpless God. He's not a God that doesn't feel the pain and hurt of what we walk through. And then finally, as a benediction, we find the last two verses. And basically, the psalmist is saying, Our fellow pilgrim, we are assured that God is unfaltering in his watchfulness. The Lord will keep you from all harm. The old King James has the word evil there. It's probably better rendered harm, disaster. He will watch over your life. He will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. It's interesting. If you go into a Jewish home today, you will find on the doorpost of the house, as you enter in their door, and sometimes on every room, on the doorpost of every room, a little box. A little box is called a mezuzah. And in that box, they have several passages of scripture, Deuteronomy 6, and a few other key texts. But as they go in and out of the house, they will brush their hand over that little box. And they will recite the end of Psalm 121. So as they leave or as they enter, they will say, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. And they recognize that all of life, the daily comings and going, work and school and shopping and driving and worshiping are all under the unfaltering watchfulness of God. Philip Yancey writes in his book, King David's Spiritual Secret, King David's Spiritual Secret, few of us thankfully live on the edge of mortal danger. But we do have times when fear creeps in. When hostile forces have surrounded us. At such a moment I turn to the Psalms. And we can use these very same prayers as steps of faith. As a path to lead us from obsession with ourselves to the actual presence of God. And I would suggest to you the Psalm 121 is one of those. It's a favorite of mine as I said before. And I know it is a favorite of many of you. One more little fact about this song. And I've left it until now as kind of the final thing to remember. Repetition is an important thing in how poets can compose their poetry and how songwriters write their songs. And it's fascinating, in this psalm, in Psalm 121, the the word Lord, L-O-R-D, Hebrew word Yahweh, occurs five times. The verb watches over, in the NIV it actually changes it from uh, watches over to keep, but it's the same Hebrew word. The Lord watches over, occurs six times. And the pronoun you, occurs ten times. Beautifully woven through this psalm, like a scarlet thread, is the message of what he wants us to hear and take home with us today. The Lord watches over. Perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't even begun the journey. Did you listen to me talk this morning? You're saying, man, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know this business. I don't know what it is to follow Jesus. I don't know what it is to engage the journey. And I would say to you, listen. John writes that as many as received Christ, as many as received, him, to them them he gave the, the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And I invite you to join us in the journey. We're all on the journey. Journey from here to then. Journey from this place into the presence of God. And you can join us on the journey. I'm not promising you an easy one. I'm not promising necessarily it's going to be any better or any easier than what you're experiencing now. But I am saying, there is someone that will walk with us. The fellow pilgrims who have gone before and are with us in this congregation. And there's one who walks ahead of us. And that's our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all.
1: Thank you, uh, Dr. Barker, for those words from God, such appropriate words, and uh, it's funny how the Lord just knows when you need to hear something, because uh, maybe sometimes as the church you think that pastors, we just have it all together, and we come into church in the right attitude, and the right mode, and uh, I confess that this morning, I, I was wiped out, and uh, I was recently at a conference with the pastors, and I wrote this quote in my Bible, that We can become so busy with the ministry of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the ministry. And that's the program I'm on right now. And it was so encouraging to have a big yellow sticky from the Holy Spirit put on my forehead this morning to say, I'm here. I'm watching over you. And that's the program I'm on. And I know that many of you are on journeys and programs as well because I talk to you during the week. And maybe you're exhausted you're like, I've set out resumes, I've gone to interviews and I just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. God's word to you this morning is he is watching over you. But it's like when you travel on a highway, there's rest spots. But those rest spots are not going to benefit you unless you pull the car over. And maybe this morning you just need to confirm in your heart that you're exhausted and you've forgotten that the Lord is where your help comes from. And I would encourage you as we end our service this morning, if you're tired, if you've forgotten where your help comes from, take a couple of minutes to get off that highway. Come to the frontier of the pastors. We're going to be here to, to pray and remind ourselves where our help comes from. And we want to encourage you to solidify that in your heart too. Stop. Remember where our help comes from. Father, I thank you so much for speaking to us so clearly this morning through your servant. I thank you for his obedience to speak your word. And I thank you for the convicting power of your Holy Spirit in my own life, Lord. And uh, I know from many that I've had conversations with in this church body, Lord, people are tired and and they are questioning. And uh, God, thanks for shouting this morning so loud that You are where our help comes from. You watch over us. You are faithful. You didn't promise it would be easy, but you promised that you are the I am. And God, that is where our confidence needs to come from. Forgive us, Lord, as a church, when we neglect to take time to remind ourselves who you are. And God, I pray that this morning people would not leave this auditorium who need to come and just take a minute and remind themselves of their need for your strength and for your guidance and to celebrate the fact that you watch over us. Work in the hearts of people. Help them to be obedient to your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you'd bring us back safely tonight to hear from your word. And we pray all these things, Father, in your precious name.